Well, good morning and Merry Christmas. So we're in Luke 1, verses 26 through 37. It's a familiar passage. I always try this time of year to highlight aspects of the Christmas story that we may have not previously considered. So Luke 1, 26, this is the word of God. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, or Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Father, now we pray for the illumination of your spirit. Ignite our hearts this morning with the Christmas story. And open our understanding that we might take away from it power, understanding, and wisdom to live for you as Christians, followers of your son Jesus. In his strong name we pray, amen. Well, I just finished Netflix's The Crown. And you know, season three or four and four are better than seasons one and two, someone's nodding. You, you get it. Um, and it's really good. It's done really well. And the producers try to follow uh, sort of the modern events of the British crown down to historic accuracy. And with any series, of course, there is some artistic license, and maybe they don't nail everything to a point, but they do a really good job. And it's a fascinating look behind the scenes of the British royal family. Now some people think, oh, how boring, and I felt that way, like my whole life, but not anymore. <laughs> and you know, in the day and age we live in, no one does royalty like the British monarchs. In fact, I would say that the global popular conception of what a monarch is probably comes from the British royal family and its history. The pomp and the ceremony, the palaces, and the castles, the titles, the opulent wealth, 
second to none. The British royal family are the largest landowners on earth. You may not know that. Vast swaths of undeveloped land through Scotland and Ireland and England and Wales are in their exclusive private possession. And they did literally nothing to earn or deserve any of it other than being born into it. The queen and her children are the descendants of 1,200 years of English kings and queens. And after I finished watching the series, I was deeply fascinated and intrigued, but I walked away with a deep, deep sense of pity for their predicament. They have anything and everything a person could ever want in terms of material possessions, and yet, they're prisoners. They can't pursue the course of life they choose. And if you are an outsider and marry into the royal family, whatever your job was is no longer. You have to abandon that because now your entire life is hemmed in by expectations and formalities. And they have no control over their own household because their lives are dictated by protocol and by ceremony, by minders who manage their lives and image. And no doubt, the inability to forge one's own way in life has created a deep crisis of meaning for many of them. The only person in the entire house of Windsor who may not suffer from a lack of meaning is the queen herself because she is the monarch. But everyone else, including her husband and children and their spouses and grandchildren, all have a terrible time because they are all essentially sitting around in waiting until someone tells them to go to some ribbon-cutting ceremony and smile and wave and if you've ever been in a position like that, where it was your job to be the public face of some organization, you know how dreary and exhausting it can quickly become. They sit around waiting to be useful. If by chance, fate calls upon them to step in and assume a new title or position because, well, someone else died. They have little to no autonomy. On the surface of our text, it seems like Mary has a similar fate. An angel doesn't ask, but tells Mary, you will conceive and bear a son and call him Jesus. There is no, should you choose this to accept this mission, like Mission Impossible, or do you agree to the terms of this vocation and calling? Or do you give your consent? None of that is present in the text at all. And a modern reader with modern sensibilities about a woman's right over her own body to choose to be or not to be pregnant using the latest medical technologies might object. And at first blush, we too may lament Mary's lack of 
autonomy. Our sort of Western liberal ideas of freedom militate against the story, no doubt. Our individualistic sensibilities are ruffled when we hear that God didn't first ask her permission before commandeering her womb and life for his purposes. We may say, well, good thing it was her and not me. Well, the women would say that. But a situation like that, we may look at and say, well, better her than me. But the truth is that none of us have any real autonomy. Our lives are dictated to us by events and circumstances beyond our control. Isn't that true? Isn't our entire life a series of reacting to things that happen to us? Even your planning for the future has to navigate through the events of your life and the things that are happening on the outside that affect you. Indeed, that is exactly how our lives are. We have no real autonomy. We are always reacting to things beyond our control. Cancer emerges out of nowhere without any family history. That happened to me a few years ago. A job layoff comes around because the changing times have transformed the industry that we work in. Or children grow up to renounce their family ties despite growing up in a loving home. All things we cannot control. We have very little control over these things, despite our best efforts. But we do have agency. And this may be the mystery of God's sovereignty and human freedom. We live in God's world. He governs all things. We're not autonomous because we are not self-governing. God is the one who governs the cosmos. We're part of a much bigger picture. But we do have, and Mary had, agency. Now, agency is the capacity to act. An agent is one who acts or reacts. And we are all agents in that regard. We have agency. And Mary would have plenty of agency in the matter. How she handled and reacted to the news, how she carried herself, and how she would raise Jesus. All of these things required her agency, her participation, her work, her thought, her energy, her anxiety, her prayers. And our entire lives are the aggregate of those two things, aren't they? God's sovereign will governing our lives and our agency to act or react to all of it. Chuck Swindoll once said, 10% of life is what happens to me, and 90% is how I react to it. Indeed, that's true for many of us. The story makes it clear that Jesus would be conceived in Mary's womb before she had any sexual relations. And even though she was a teenager, she knew what this meant for her own
own and her child's reputation. I'll let you sort of do the math on that. She would become pregnant before having any relations with her husband that she was betrothed to marry. And she knew, even as a teenager, what this meant for her and the reputation of her son. She'd be seen as sexually immoral and her child as illegitimate, something that likely followed Jesus into adulthood. But the angel also says this. He says, he will be called great and will be called son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. How's that for a consolation prize? You're going to experience something you hadn't planned for. There will be a cloud over you for your entire life, cloud over your son. But he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever in his kingdom. There will be no end. Now, God doesn't speak audibly to each and every one of us, but it would be nice to know, and I think we are safe, in safe territory, to think to ourselves that the things that we go through are things that God has sovereignly ordered for us to experience, that on the other side of that is some type of glorious blessing and prize. So how does Mary use her agency in all of this? Well, number one, Mary interrogates God's purposes. Luke 1, 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? You know, there's nothing, absolutely nothing to indicate that Mary's questioning was wrong. Have you ever questioned God? Have you ever questioned something that is going on in your life or questioned something you didn't understand in God's word or interrogate God's purposes in your life? There is utterly nothing to indicate that she somehow lacked faith because she needed more information. And that should be deeply comforting to each one of us because on the outside, we sort of put on a facade as like good godly Christians, but the truth is, is a lot of the doubts and skepticisms that the world have, we are always sort of wrestling with in the back of our mind. Some of the arguments about the things in the Bible or God's ways in the world are quite compelling, and we can push those things down, but they pester us, right? When God does things that doesn't make sense to us, we want more information. That is natural. God has made us that way. When something in Scripture confuses us, when things don't turn out the way we'd hoped for. We have questions. And part of what makes us human is our desire to interrogate things that don't make sense. Questions are good. 
They're necessary. They help us make sense of our lives and process reality. And on the far side of our questioning, on the far side of our confusion, and dare I say it, at times, even on the far side of our doubt, is a stronger faith. God is not afraid of our questions. God is not afraid for us to interrogate his purposes in our life and say, what in the world are you up to, God? Because this looks utterly nothing like the plans that I had for myself. This looks utterly nothing like a blessed life at the moment. What in the world are you up to, God? I've come to a place in my own faith where I feel confident that God is not offended by that, that God is not angry by my questions, that God is not annoyed or irritated, that I need more information. Now, I may not always get, and you may not always get, the exact information that we want, but the process of wrestling and interrogating the purposes of God is good. It's good. Indeed, many young people who grow up in the church who fall away from the faith do so because they often did not feel safe asking questions. And I want to say if you're a parent here with young children, don't be so quick to rush in with an answer, even if you have the answer, but steward that child's questioning and gently lead them along the road and the path of discovery. Yes, you have answers. Yes, you want them to discover those answers, but don't make them, don't, don't let them see your panic that they have questions. Don't do that. Because that says to them, it's not safe asking this question. And one day when they grow up, they might find that outside of your home and outside of the church, people welcome those questions, and that feels much better. And I want us to look at our text this morning in Mary's life to recognize that it is good, it is okay to interrogate the purposes of God, to seek out more information, to ask questions about things we don't understand, and indeed beckon God to give us direction and answers. She's given for her interrogating God's purposes a double explanation for the event. He says... The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. In other words, the angel recognizes her concern that her child will be seen as illegitimate her concern that she will be seen as sexually immoral, and the angel understands that concern and says to her, don't worry, this child, in the opinion of anyone who really matters, will be called holy, not unholy. The Son of God. So the Holy Spirit will come upon Mary, enabling her, as the Spirit always enables to do and be more than she could be by herself, but at the same time, the power of the Most High will overshadow her. And this is something different. 
God himself, the creator, will surround her completely with his sovereign power. Now, if Mary was a pagan, if she worshipped the sort of Greco-Roman pantheon of gods, this would be a real problem for one of them to impregnate her. Because those gods were not absolutely holy and absolutely good. They were amoral. If you know the story of the sort of the, the Greek gods, the, the gods of the Romans, the pagan gods of the ancient world, they were not absolute in any sense. They were not absolute in their power. They were often limited to some aspect of nature. You know, you think of Poseidon in the ocean and I don't know, whatever, the, whatever those Greek gods were, wherever they dwelled, right? They were limited to whatever sphere of nature they belonged to, so they were not absolute in their power in any sense. And they could be capricious and jealous of human beings, lustful themselves, so they were not moral in any absolute sense either. But the God of Scripture is an absolute revolution in the ancient world because he is absolute in his power and he is absolute in his morality. God is perfectly and utterly moral and righteous, which means he's holy. And so for this God, the God of the Bible, to overshadow her and impregnate her was a good thing. It meant that it was not some type of sexual violation, if you will. It was a holy thing for Mary to become pregnant, even though she was a virgin. And this makes all the difference for her. However scary things were about to become, she was comforted by this knowledge that it was a holy God who was absolutely powerful and absolutely good, controlling the events and governing the outcome of events in her life. And I just want to encourage you this morning that it is a holy God, a good God, who loves you and cares for you, who is governing the events of your life right now, even right now. In the year 2020, with everything going on around us, as we come into the new year, there may be, there will be things that don't make sense in your life. There will be scary and troubling things ahead of you. That's guaranteed. But there is an absolutely good God who has all power, and he is absolutely morally righteous and holy. And that ought to comfort you, as it did Mary. Maybe God is doing something already in your life right now that feels scary or confusing. You could just raise the hand in your heart, like a silent hand in your heart, right? Like how many of you, right, even right now, are experiencing something scary and confusing? I would say many of us. And just as a quick side note, you know, one of the reasons we don't share those things is because we just assume I'm the only one. Everyone else's life you know, must be just humming along great. And so we're reluctant to share the sort of tragedies, disasters, and chaotic things in our life because we just assume, well, it just must be me because everybody just looks so put together. I just want to say, everybody else is pretending as well, so don't worry, okay? <laughs> we're, all, we're all putting on a smiley face, but we're all going through things at any given moment, your brother, your sister in Christ. I, I say that by way of encouragement. 
We're all going through things that feel scary. So maybe you're wondering if God really has your best interest at heart. I thought that when I got the cancer diagnosis a couple years ago. I had all these questions, and it lasted for several few years. That was 2017. 2020, 21, I, th- I feel like I'm just now, it's all settling down. All the questions, it was like, like, a, like a nuclear explosion of questions that all the sort of settled things I understood about myself and God's plans for me were blown up when that happened. Now the dust has settled, you know, and I have a better understanding. That's why I said in the beginning, on the far side of your questions and doubt is a stronger faith. On the far side, not up front. Up front, I had scary questions, and I wasn't sure that the God that I had learned of my whole life was really who I thought he was. But on the far side of that, as I kept traveling through what felt like the valley of the shadow of death, I found God to be present, and when I got to the other side, I found that I understood myself, my faith, and the God I worshiped much, much deeper. That we don't serve a God who keeps us from problems, but is present with us in problems. We don't serve a God that keeps us from suffering. His own son experienced horrible suffering, but we do serve a God who is present with us in all types of suffering. He's present with us. He goes with us. He doesn't abandon us, although it can feel like that. It can feel like God is just forcing his will on us and we have no say at all. Maybe you feel like that. Maybe you feel like you're on a train barreling down the tracks, you know, at 150 miles an hour and you can't get off. What you need to know this morning is that when God takes the initiative in your life, it is always a matter of love. Love which will care for us and take us up into his saving purposes. And Mary is, to that extent, the supreme example of what happens when God is at work by grace through human beings. God's power from the outside and the indwelling spirit within together resulting in things being done which would have been unthinkable any other way. And the second way that Mary uses her agency is Mary accepts God's purposes. Look at what she says in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now it may be tempting to say, Well, of course she accepted God's purposes. She had no choice in the matter. But people can rebel against God's sovereign purposes. They do it all the time. And we live in a world colored by human rebellion against God. You know, history is sort of one long saga of the world's kingdoms and empires rebelling against God. And the Bible is in many ways the story of God's acts in history challenging their rebellion against his purposes. Now again, as a quick side note, I am a critic of seeing the Bible as a collection of life principles. And I'm sure I will, I mean, we're starting a series, that's what I forgot to mention about the whole prayer thing. 
during the new year, I'm going to take a week vacation. When I come back, we're going to do a five-sermon series on prayer. So I'm not against sort of, you know, five steps to a healthier marriage or like, you know, three keys to a stronger prayer life. But primarily, the Bible is not a book of life principles. There are people who take that approach, pastors who preach that way. Primarily, though, the Bible is a record of God's acts in history responding to the empires of this world rebelling against his sovereign purposes and what God does about it. Rebelling against God's sovereign plans. This is where the sovereignty of God and human responsibility intersect. God governs the world through his providence, yet we are still responsible. Thinking of Mary now. God governs the world according to his sovereign will, but we're still responsible for how we react or respond or use our agency. Something really good here from the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 5, the chapter on providence. It says, God who created everything also upholds everything. He directs, regulates, and governs every creature, action, and thing from the greatest to the least by his completely wise and holy providence. And he does so in accordance with his infallible foreknowledge and the voluntary, unchangeable purpose of his own will, all to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. But how we react to God's providence is in the exercise of our agency, and that's where our accountability comes in. See, some people say if God is governing all things according to his own will, how can he hold us responsible for our action isn't it all the result of god's sovereign will anyway now you may be thinking well i've ever never asked that question but what you probably have asked is if god controls the outcome of all things how can he blame us for sin and isn't he responsible for sin or tragedy or evil in the world but the answer again lies in our agency and this is where the story's hidden redemptive meaning really comes into play. So you might be fading now. I've gone past my normal time limit. Don't, don't, don't fall off yet. We're going to wrap it up. But this is where the story's hidden redemptive meaning really comes into play. All right, you ready for it? The first sin ever was committed by Eve in the garden, exercising her agency. It wasn't Adam who first ate but, and rebelled, but Eve. And sadly, in the ensuing centuries after, even among the Jews, women were seen as spiritually weak and irresponsible, not to be trusted with the things of God. But here, here in this story, in God's plans to save the world, it's a woman Eve's descendant who cooperates with God's purposes. It's Mary who God uses to bring in the world's Savior. And it wasn't a mindless, robotic obedience to God. But after wrestling with God's purposes, after questions, after pondering in her heart what she heard, after interrogating God's purposes and making the angel and therefore God give an account for what was happening. After those things, she says the words, 
which have run down the years as a model of human response to God's unexpected callings on our life. This is what she says. Here I am. I am the Lord's servant. Let it be as you have said. I think the hope for each and every one of us is on the far end of every confusing circumstance, every suffering or tragic event in our lives, every derailing of the plans or the things we would hope for ourselves in God's sort of sovereign economy, that we too would be able to say, like Mary, here I am, the Lord's servant. Let it be as you have said. Hallelujah. Let's pray. God, now indeed at this very moment, we are and our hearts are caught up in a combination of emotions as your people. We are hopeful and faithful and worshipful because of who we know you to be, and yet at the same time, there are doubts and confusions and things that we wrestle with from day to day. We know, O oh God, that you are not afraid of our questions. You are not afraid of our even at times doubts and fears. The very essence of what it means for us to have faith, help us to see, O God, is to trust you even though we do not understand and be okay for a time asking questions, wrestling with our fears, so that when we come out on the other side, we have vanquished those fears but not before the time. Only after we have sought your purposes out more clearly, prayed more deeply, and trusted you more fully, that we might be called the children of the living God and know you through our own experiences, not just from the hearing of the ear, but the seeing of the eye, O oh God, seeing your ways in our life and watching you be faithful to us through the midst of every crisis, every circumstance, every fearful event, that we too might also say, here am I, the Lord's servant. We thank you now, O oh God, in Christ's name we pray, amen.